grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the Triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. Let us listen for the Spirit speaking, for God has more truth and more light to share with us through the living word. Let us pray. Fiercely loving God, as you sent the Son to save the world, now send the Spirit of truth that, as the spirits are read and proclaimed, we may know your perfect love that drives out fear and claims us as your children. In the name of Jesus, your holy human heart, we pray. Amen. Reading from the letter to Colossians. Therefore, as God's choice, holy and love, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other, and if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all of these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ control your hearts, the peace into which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritualism. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts, whatever you do whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, and give thanks to God the Father through Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the book of Judges. Sometime later, all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other Easterners joined together, came over, and set up camp in the Jezreel Valley. Then the living God's spirit came over Gideon, and Gideon sounded the horn and summoned the Abizarites to follow him. He sent messengers into all of Manasseh, and they were also summoned to follow him. Then he sent messengers into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali too, and they marched up to meet them. Then Gideon and all of the people with him rose early and set up camp beside the quaking spring. Midian's camp was north of theirs in the valley. The living God said to Gideon, You have too many people on your side. If I were to hand Midian over to them, the Israelites might claim credit for themselves rather than for me, thinking, We saved ourselves. So now, announce in the people's hearing, Anyone who is afraid or unsteady may return home from Gideon's mountain. At this, 22,000 people went home, and 10,000 were left. The living God said to Gideon, There are still too many people. 
Take them down to the water, and I will weed them out for you there. Whenever I tell you, this one will go with you, you should go with me. But whenever I tell you, this one won't go with you, you should not go. So Gideon took the people down to the water. And the living God said to Gideon, Set aside those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laughs, from those who bend down on their knees to drink. The number of men who lapped was three hundred, and all the rest of the people bent down on their knees to drink water with their hands to their mouth. Then the living God said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will rescue you and hand over the Midianites to you. Let everyone else go home. So the people gathered their supplies and trumpets, and Gideon sent all the Israelites home. It kept the three hundred. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before her tour of U.S. military bases in Iraq, everything comedian Jackie Cation knew about the Army, she learned from the commercials. For instance, she knew that you were Army strong, that it was an adventure. But it was when she was lost in an Iraqi desert that she learned that the army is not just an adventure, it's also a job. Like a job job, she explained, like a get up in the morning, regular kind of job, like a restaurant gig even. Because listening to the soldiers' conversations over the radio, Cation thought back to her days in restaurant work, especially thinking of that moment when the manager announces to the staff that a patron has thrown up in the bathroom. Everyone freezes until the manager picks someone to mop it up. And then they can breathe a sigh of relief, all except for the employee chosen, who swears under their breath and reaches for a mop. So here she is in a company of mine-resistant, ambush-protected vehicles in the middle of nowhere, Iraq, listening to the sergeant say, we need someone to get out of the truck and direct us across the ridge so that we don't tip over. Everybody freezes. She can hear it over the radio. And then the sergeant picks someone. Munoz, you've got to get out. Everybody breathes a sigh of relief, except, of course, for Munoz, who swears under his breath and grabs his rifle. Nineteen-year-old Munoz successfully directed the company over the ridge, but not before protesting about getting out of the armored vehicle, saying, and I quote, that's where the bad guys are. Yes, that's where the bad guys are. Standing in the camp next to the quaking spring, surrounded by Israelite soldiers, 
I remember Cation's story. How many of these 32,000 men from the tribes of Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali were kids, thinking just over there in the valley, that's where the bad guys are. For seven years, these men and their parents had lived in fear of the army in the valley. The Midianites had waged a scorched earth campaign on Israel whenever the Israelites planted crops the invaders would destroy their farmland and slaughter their livestock. Gideon himself was hiding from the Midianites when the living God found him and commissioned him to lead the rebellion. Gideon the chieftain, sometimes translated as judge, as in the book of Judges, Gideon the chieftain had called his countrymen out of hiding. Tomorrow we attack. But today, God sends more than 30,000 people home. And when they returned home to the territories of Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, I wonder... What did they tell their kinfolk about what happened? There I was, shaking in my boots, just thinking about the Midianites. When Chief Gideon announced that anyone who is afraid or unsteady may return home. So here I am. Well, I didn't want my fellow soldiers to see my fear and lose courage, too. The Israelites deserve the fiercest men fighting on their behalf. There I was, down at the stream, drinking water for I don't know what reason. I cupped up the river water, brought it to my lips, and here I am. I don't know exactly what made those soldiers who drank water like dogs better fighters, but the Israelites deserve the fiercest men fighting on their behalf. These are likely stories, but here's what I imagine was the likeliest of all. I'm home. How did it go, you ask? We swarmed the Midianites as a mighty horde and devoured their strength like a plague of locusts. I fought bravely next to my comrades, and when they fell in battle, I charged forward to avenge their deaths. After seven years of shame in Israel, we reclaimed our honor and pride. It's not difficult for me to picture would-be soldiers lying to save face, hoping that no one will expose their cowardice because the truth, the truth sounds more outrageous. Even today, 
even in our present day culture that does not depend nearly as much on preserving communal honor or avoiding family shame, even today, we would balk at the idea of giving permission to active duty troops to go home if they feel afraid or unsteady. We would much rather have them pretend for our sake that they have it all together, just like we project to our neighbors that we're fine, everything's fine, even when we're falling apart. I wonder if Gideon even shared with his soldiers the reasons they could go home. That might be the most outrageous truth of them all. God told Chief Gideon, you have too many people on your side. If I were to hand Midian over to them, the Israelites might claim credit for themselves rather than for me, thinking, we saved ourselves. This episode tugs at a thread running through all of our sacred stories, from Eden to Egypt, from Babylon to Bethlehem and beyond. Human beings may claim all kinds of victories, but in the end, we cannot save ourselves from ourselves. Only the God of grace does that. Our scriptures span centuries and so express this truth in many ways. For instance, the collection of conventional wisdom known as Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Or the angel tells the prophet Zechariah that Judah will know peace, neither by power nor by strength, but only by the spirit of the living God. And to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes, salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment, created in Christ Jesus to do good things. Indeed, in Christ Jesus, a new creation blossoms from a place that it should not, a roaming cross, a method of murder, a savior who yields to such a shameful death sounds like foolishness in the ears of those who wish to save themselves. But to those who have laid aside their self-delusions, Christ crucified is the wisdom and power of God. In this folly, is a wisdom written deep in the DNA of creation. In this weakness, there is a power that will trample death. 
not by strength, but by God's vulnerability. Hope and forgiveness bud and bloom in our imperfect lives. Ironically, Chief Gideon, who followed the call of the Spirit and reduced his fighting force to 300 men, eventually stopped trusting that God reveals power through weakness. Vengeance overwhelms him. Pride drives him to acts of cruelty. He declines to rule as king at first, but ultimately he and his family come to dominate the people. Though once he was a leader clothed with the Spirit's might, upon arriving home, Gideon leads Israel into unfaithfulness with, of all things, a golden statue, as if he hadn't heard the story of that golden calf. And Gideon probably thought that God was on his side the whole time, probably thought that this golden statue was a fitting tribute to the God who had blessed him with military victories and riches and authority. Sadly, his son Abimelech would learn that the living God has no special love for political power or worldly wealth. In Abimelech's case, God worked through the self-defense of a poor woman whose city was under attack and who used a household millstone to crack her oppressor's skull. The vagaries of the book of Judges are still with us today, here and in the places where 19-year-old soldiers are trying their best, even though their parents would love to see them come home. And Iraqi and Afghan parents would love to see their children grow up in peace. But as long as we believe that we can save ourselves, as long as we wrap ourselves in Kevlar or money or influence, we don't know the resurrection life that Jesus offers us with wounded hands. It's only in vulnerability that we experience this strength when we exchange the Kevlar for the garments Paul described, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. Which is to say, when we clothe ourselves with Christ's own weakness, when we put on like a gauzy garment Christ's humility and gentleness, we will come alive in the Spirit. You don't have to be brave or competent or right to receive God's love. 
Instead, God's love and grace arrive amidst your fear and doubt. God can show up in a midnight car ride to Cayuga Medical Center. That's where God showed up for me last Thursday when my husband's hypertensive heart was beating fast and my palms were sweaty on the steering wheel as I drove 70 miles per hour on Searsburg Road. Slow down. My beloved husband rightly pointed out the possibility of deer crossing in the middle of the night. And so I slowed down, but only because I didn't have enough horsepower to put a safe distance between me and mortality. I wanted to race away from weakness and speed towards the strong, bright lights of an emergency department. Slow down. An odd calm settled on us, two frail and finite bodies. Stay in the moment, the spirit whispered. Don't run. And on that road, and in that waiting room, and with the heart monitors beeping around us, the spirit wrapped us in love. The perfect bond of unity, to use Paul's words. I used to think of love as a feeling, a kind of affection that keeps people happy. But in the hospital, and in the car ride home, and in the follow-up appointments, and in the next steps, I experienced love as a commitment, more than a feeling. I cannot save myself. But through the God who says yes to human frailty in Jesus Christ, through the God who chose love, even on a cross, I know a taste of that salvation to come. My husband is home, but too many spouses and parents and children are not. My family is vaccinated, but too many others in the U.S. and around the globe are not. Pretending that everything is okay might be how the rest of the world deals with this state of affairs, but folks who follow Jesus know that naming the hurt and choosing love in the midst of pain is the only way that our world will experience healing and peace this side of the kingdom. Friends, today, tomorrow, and in the rest of this Easter season, let the Spirit clothe you with power beyond human strength. Let the Spirit wrap around you wisdom beyond human knowledge. 
Let the Spirit pour over you grace independent of any wealth or status on your part. In the Spirit's presence, may you come alive as Jesus lives. For such grace, for such a gracious gift of life, let us give all glory and gratitude to God. The love who gave us birth, the love that goes on ahead, love encircling us every step of the journey. Amen. <laughs>